This morning our scripture comes to us uh, from, from 2 Chronicles chapter 30. If you have your Bibles, I invite you to turn with me there. We're 2 Chronicles chapter 30. We're going to be reading verses 1 through 12, and, and, and most of our, our focus and attention is, is going to be in that chapter 30 today. So if you, if you do have your Bibles and, and want to keep them open, we'll refer to a couple of other passages uh, later in the chapter. But our, our attention's in uh, 2 Chronicles 30, uh, verse uh, 1. And, and this is uh, the second wave of action by King Hezekiah. Uh, one of the great reformers uh, of, uh, of the, the Israelite people, the, the leaders uh, who, who were able to turn the attention of the people of God back to, to worship. And so uh, I invite you to follow along with the words in your Bibles or the words on the screen as we uh, study together God's holy word. Hezekiah sent word to all Israel and Judah. And wrote letters also to Ephraim and Manasseh that they should come to the house of the Lord at Jerusalem to keep the Passover to the Lord, the God of Israel. For the king and his officials and all the assembly of Jerusalem had taken counsel to keep the Passover in the second month. For they could not keep it at its proper time because the priests had not, been sanctif- had not sanctified themselves in sufficient number, nor had the people assembled in Jerusalem. The plan seemed right to the king. And all the assembly. So they decreed to make a proclamation throughout all Israel from Beersheba to Dan that the people should come and keep the Passover to the Lord, the God of Israel at Jerusalem. For they had not kept in great numbers as as prescribed. So couriers went throughout all Israel and Judah with letters from the king and his officials as the king had commanded, saying, O people of Israel, return to the Lord. The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, so that he may turn again to the remnant of you who have escaped from the hand of the kings of Assyria. Do not be like your ancestors and your kindred, who were faithless to the Lord God of their ancestors, so that he made them a desolation as you see. Do not now be stiff-necked as your ancestors were, but yield yourselves to the Lord and come to his sanctuary, which he has sanctified forever, and serve the Lord your God so that his fierce anger may turn away from you. For as you return to the Lord, your kindred and your children will find compassion with their captors and return to this land. For the Lord your God is gracious and merciful." And will not turn away his face from you if you return to him. So the couriers went from city to city through the country of Ephraim and Manasseh as far as uh, Zebulun. But they laughed them to scorn and mocked them. Only a few from Asher and Manasseh and Zebulun humbled themselves and came to Jerusalem. The hand of God was also on Judah to give them one heart to do what the king and the officials commanded by the word of the Lord. This is God's word offered to us in its reading and in its hearing. And so we give thanks to the Lord God Almighty. Would you bow with me for a word of prayer? Gracious God, we do come before you uh, thankful for your word and for the wisdom contained therein. Lord, we thank you, we're thankful for uh, the marks of faith that are upon our lives. 
and the mark that you invite us to make in the world. Lord, we ask that you would uh, breathe life into uh, this time by the power of your spirit so that we would uh, know what it is to follow you. Lord, we ask that you would open our eyes, that we would see, open our ears, that we would hear, open our minds, that we would come to know, understand your word, and indeed your will. Open our hearts that we would feel its power. And by your grace, I ask, O oh God, that you would open our hands that we might offer grace to the world. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, there are two marks that I could preach on from this text today. Uh, and, and rather than completely ignore one of them, I'm going to give just a, a highlight, let, you, let that marinate, and then we'll come to the focus of today. One is, is, is the mark of, of high holy days. And, and that being a part of the rhythm of life, uh, the rhythm of our lives, and the rhythm of worship uh, of God. And if we think about not just holidays, tomorrow's a holiday, it's Columbus Day. That's not a holy day, it's a holiday. I'm talking about holy days, I'm talking about Christmas, I'm talking about Easter, I'm talking about Pentecost Sunday. What do these things, All Saints Day, allow us to do as holy days set apart to be a part of the rhythm of our very lives? And what is it to miss one. You see, Hezekiah, he comes into power and comes into reign, and as, as he uh, begins his, his life as king, the first thing he does is he starts to, to reopen the temple and to reestablish the worship of God there in the temple, but as he does it, they miss a holy day. They miss Passover. Passover is, uh, according to the Jewish uh, calendar, in the first month of the year, Nisan, and, and it is uh, no, that not the car. It's a month. It's the month of the year. It's called Nisan. And it, uh, Passover runs from the 15th day of the month to the 21st day of the month. But what is Hezekiah doing during this time? Hezekiah is reestablishing worship in the, in the temple. And so they get to the end of this reestablishing of uh, temple ritual, and they figure out that they missed the holy day. It'd be like if you were so busy, you missed Christmas. You were so busy, Resurrection Sunday just didn't come this year, and you didn't have Easter. And so what happens is a month later, uh, uh, Hezekiah is gathered with the other officials, and, 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 and something stirs in his soul, and something is unsettled, and he says to the people, he says, we missed Passover. What are we going to do? And so they decide we're going to have Passover a month later. We're not going to miss it because it's that important to celebrate this holy day. And so in the second month, the 17th day, they have Passover. So that's the first thing. And, and we're, we're, I want you to think about what it means to have the mark of holy days on our calendars, moving us through life year by year, rhythm by rhythm, and what that means to a life of faith, what it means to your soul, what it means to your relationships. How holy is that? But that's not the mark we're going to talk about today. That is just the, the sermon before the sermon. I could not mention that because it's crazy uh, that, that he actually celebrated with the entire nation Passover, not on Passover. But, but what I find here is, um, is the power of name. The power of name. And, and the mark of a name. Uh, 
uh, nine days ago, uh, the last of my grandparents died, uh, my D-Dad. Uh, and D-Dad is my stepmom's father, and, uh, and he uh, is, is, a, is a great man. Uh, D. McElroy is uh, a man who, who built uh, foundations and philanthropy and offered his life and service to others in extraordinary ways. And D. McElroy went to meet his maker and entered into God's heavenly kingdom uh, nine days ago. Well, when, when we were in that in-between time after D. passed away and before uh, the funeral was scheduled, there was this kind of in-between space that I entered into uh, being a pastor in the family. Uh, oftentimes, I am asked to serve as the celebrant over the, uh, over the memorial. And so I began to, to ask myself, what would, what would I say about D-Dad? What would I say about D. McElroy, and how could I honor him effectively? Uh, whenever people hear D. McElroy's name, what is it that they recall? What legacy does even the, the utterance of the name invoke in us? And I was kind of overwhelmed by that whole concept, that even the very idea of, of me officiating his, his memorial, because uh, to truth be told, I didn't know him very well. I always knew of him. I knew of him before my dad and stepmom were married. Uh, he, he was uh, a, a prominent member of the community that I lived in. Uh, I know of his great work uh, and, and see more of the evidence of his great work, but I didn't know him very well. So, so it, it led me into a space that, that, I, that I move into every once in a while whenever I am challenged with the task of officiating, celebrating at a memorial, and that is this question what do I want my name to mean to others? Right? Like, like that's, a, that's, that's a deep question, and, and I feel honored by God that I get to enter into that, to that space where that question arises for me. But, but because as I think about someone else, and I think about what does their name mean to me? What does their name mean to their family? What does their name mean to the community? What legacy does their name mean? invoke what power is there and it stirs in me and says well what about me our names are important to us our names are important to us and and uh man over the past couple of weeks we've heard a lot about uh a lot about names in the media and a lot about uh uh the the, the value of one's name and the slander of one's name. And, and I'm not going to get on either side of an issue, but, but bear with me for a second because what took place in D.C. over the last couple of weeks uh, really brings this home, right? So this whole, uh, th- this whole process of Justice Kavanaugh being confirmed yesterday and, 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 and the relationship of his name and... and uh, uh, Dr. Blasey Ford's name, and, and the two of them really having to, to struggle through what their names now mean in the national consciousness. And from both sides, I see, uh, I see pain, and I see loss. But because on, on, on the one side, in Justice Kavanaugh's name, uh, no matter what he's done over the life of uh, 
of his service to, uh, to the judiciary or uh, what he does moving forward. He could sit on the Supreme Court for, uh, for 25, for 30 years. He could write incredible opinions and have a, a tremendous legacy in that way. No matter what he's done uh, in his family life or his, his work life, he now has a concern, and it was lifted up over and over again. He has a concern that his name has been forever tarnished. And that now people will hear Justice Kavanaugh and not think of anything except for, oh, he's the one that probably did that to that woman. And so the conflict in his soul over what his name now means. Then I hear the same from Dr. Blasey Ford and I see uh, her testimony and, and heartfelt and 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 and. and and painful to listen to and to hear about her desire for her name to be kept confidential so her name would not be forever associated with that one who alleged uh, uh, a sex crime on Justice Kavanaugh. And, and, and her wanting to, to have her name kept confidential so it wouldn't be in that way, so her family wouldn't have the impact, so her legacy wouldn't be that. Where for some, she is, uh, she is a hero, and for others, she is a villain, and her name is now built into the, our national consciousness as conflicted. And I feel awful for her. Because both of them now have names that no longer mean what they would want them to mean. What do you want your name to mean? I find it quite interesting that that uh, when Hezekiah is trying to determine how it is that I'm going to convince people to celebrate Passover a month late, like, I, I can't celebrate Passover on my own. I can't celebrate Passover with just some priests. There's still work to be done in the temple. There's still some work to be done in our spiritual lives to prepare for this. The people of God need to gather together to celebrate Passover. How am I going to convince them to do this? I need them to come from their homes, from their work, from their lives, leave it, come to Jerusalem, and focus on the Lord. And so he, he, he faces this challenge and decides with his, with his counselors that he's going to lift up a decree, and he's going to place this decree before the people, and he's going to send out messengers. And these messengers are going to go from place to place to place all across the country, and they're going to call forth amongst all the people, and they're going to try to, to use the most significant ways that they can convince them. And it opens with this. In verse in verse uh, 6, B, the king commanded them, he says, O people of Israel, return to the Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel. He opens his appeal by invoking particular names. 
And this isn't the only time in Scripture. I mean, you've heard this before. You've heard the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, the God of Israel, depending upon where you are in Scripture. But you've heard the God of Abraham over and over again in Scripture. The God of Abraham, the God of Abraham, the God of Abraham. And Hezekiah uses it in that way as well. So that when he calls forth to the people to come and celebrate uh, Christmas in January, he's saying, come because of the God of Abraham. So that he could use that name to say, you know, Abraham, that means something. That has power because our roots, our heritage, all string back to Abraham. Our, 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 the, the very reason we live in this land, the very reason that we engage in a promised relationship with God is because of Abraham. It all goes back there. And the name Abraham means something even today, even in a hedonistic culture that they're living in at that time. He says, I call upon Abraham, the God of Abraham. You know that name. Be drawn by it forth to worship God. That's a name. Man, to have a name like Abraham. Or even today when we read the scriptures and we hear the God of Abraham, we know exactly what's being said. We know that we're saying our God who promises and is faithful and our roots begin here. Yeah, but the unfortunate truth of the matter is some, some don't respond faithfully to that, to that, to that call. Uh, you, you probably heard in, in verse 10, it says that some of the folks on the far outreaches and Ephraim and Manasseh as far as Zebulun, some of them laughed, scorned, mocked the messengers. You're crazy. You might have called on the name of Abraham, but that's not enough for me. So many of them didn't come. But then it continues on and it says, but, but the hand of God was there with the people of Judah. This is in verse 12. And they gave them a heart to do what was right. So some, many, in fact, laughed, scorned, mocked, didn't get it, didn't respond, but... There were many, especially in Judah, but throughout the land, many still responded. And in verse 13, the, the verse after what we read, it says this. It says, many people came together in Jerusalem to keep the Passover, the festival of unleavened bread. Many came and responded to the powerful appeal that was made by the name. Now, I want to talk about for a second who actually responded, who actually came. Now, now, there are the people that are in Jerusalem that, that, that were already there that responded because they were able to hear not just the messengers, but they were also to hear the passion and the, and, and, and the, the heart of their king. And they had already begun the restoration of the temple and this restoration of, of corporate worship by the people of God. And so this was a movement that was already underway in Jerusalem and in the surrounding area. And so, so many of them responded already. In fact, the priest had to, had to, had to completely reestablish establish their own cleanliness and holiness so that they would be prepared to receive the sacrifice. So they were beginning in chapter 29, there's all sorts of rituals that are already taking place in order to prepare themselves for this. So there are the, the, those that know 
the ritual, that are prepared to, to engage in the ritual, that are already moving in that direction. But then there's also, then there's also a whole nother subset of people that come. A whole nother subset of people that respond to the name of Abraham. Verse 17, it begins to describe uh, this group of people. There were many in the assembly who had not sanctified themselves. Therefore, the Levites had to slaughter the Passover lamb, for everyone was not clean to make it holy. So, this is a problem. This is a big problem. A whole bunch of people are coming to the Passover, and they have not prepared themselves for it. They have not sanctified themselves. They had not been made clean. They had not gone through the ritual in order to be prepared for worship. And this was a part of, a part of, a part of cultural worship that was normative. You know, you arrive at 10.05 on Sunday mornings. Like that is a part of the culture of worship. Like you got to know this. Come on, guys. We got to get better at this, right? Like we... You know, when we, I, I'm, I'm going to really jump aside here. When we move in the building, we have multiple services stacked on each other. We're going to start on time, so I hope you get there on time. Uh, but but this, this, was, this, this was a part of the culture of worship there that they had to know. They had to know that, that if they were going to participate in the Passover, they had to make themselves holy. They had to sanctify themselves. And it says many of them, failed to do this. They didn't do it. And then in verse 18, it even goes even further. The second half of verse 18, it says, uh, uh, a multitude of people, those from Ephraim, from Manasseh, from Issachar, from Zebulun, they had not cleansed themselves, yet they ate the Passover otherwise than as prescribed. Pause. They had not cleaned themselves. They had not been sanctified. And now not only are, are, are they participating in corporate worship, but they're receiving food from the Passover totally engaged in this holy meal. Now, a lot of times we, we look at the God of the Old Testament, uh, our God, <laughs> the God, the Father of Jesus, right? The God of Abraham, our God, and we say, this God, you know, vengeful, uh, spiteful, angry, and, and, and we, don't, we don't read these parts of the passages because, because here it is, worship. God has prescribed how this is supposed to go in very clear and detailed ways. And, 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 uh, and Hezekiah has said, in the name of the God of Abraham, come. And people come, but they aren't following the rules. They're coming into worship. They're not standing when they're supposed to stand, kneeling when they're supposed to kneel, sitting when they're supposed to sit. They're not wearing the right clothes. They're not sitting in the right spot. They don't know what to do whenever you come up for communion. They don't know that you start at 1005. None of those things they know, and yet they still come. And because they come in that way, uh, Hezekiah has a decision to make, as does God. Uh, am, I going to, am I going to offer uh, vengeful harm and spite? Am I going to reject those that came who weren't ready? Or am I going to receive them in and say, praise God, you came? The end of verse 18, it goes like this. Hezekiah, he looked on them. He looked at them and he said, y'all don't know what you're doing. You don't know how to worship. But... He prayed for them. He said, the good Lord 
pardon all who set their hearts to seek God, the Lord, the God of their ancestors, which would include Abraham, even though not in accordance with the sanctuary rules of cleanliness. So the Lord heard Hezekiah and healed the people. They all gathered. Those that knew what to do and those that didn't know what to do. Those that followed the rules and ordinances and statutes and those that did not. Those that were sanctified and holy unto the Lord and those that were broken and all sorts of messed up. They all came. All of them came. And when they came, God healed them. But to go back to the power of a name. Now we know a little bit more about who came at the name of Abraham. Whenever whenever that ordinance went out and it said, the Lord, the God of Abraham, that name resonated, that call, that appeal resonated not just with the holy and devout, but it also resonated with some non-practicing, maybe even non-believers. And they came. What would it be to have a name like that? So when people hear your name, they think of you in such a way as to respond. Maybe they don't know God. Maybe they don't know Jesus. Maybe there is not a relationship with Jesus at all, but because they see you and know of your relationship with Jesus, they come. Man, that's a name to have. Think about what I would have said for D-Dad. I think about what I would want people to say for me. And sure, I want them to say he was funny. No, uh, that's not what I uh, Sure, I want them to say he was an awesome husband, an awesome father. But the thing I want to hear them say the most Man, he loved Jesus. Man, he loved Jesus. What would it be to hear that in such a way where people around you who believed in Jesus responded, but even more than that, people who had no clue what it meant to be in a personal relationship with Jesus, they heard your name and and said to themselves, man, he loved Jesus. I'm going to go worship Jesus too. And God will heal him. Let's pray.